0: So why do we do what we do? As Buddhists, why do we uh, do the things that we do? Why do we come along here and engage in Buddhist practice? So I'm sure that if we kind of went round, uh, probably there would be quite a number of different answers to to that question. Um, But what I recognise is that... uh, each of us, in Buddhist practice, the primary thing that we're asking, uh, going to be asked to do is to wake up into our experience. So we'll all be having different experiences of our sort of personal circumstances, the things that bring us here. Uh, we'll all have had maybe some sort of vision, some sort of disillusionment, some sort of suffering, or some sort of bliss. These seem to be the territory that brings us through into the doors, uh, through the doors of the Holy Centre. And all those different experiences, suffering, bliss, vision, disillusion, what those actually do, the sort of unifying aspect in in them is that it's life kind of giving us a little of a nudge to wake us up. This is the kind of consequence of those strong experiences. So, that is, for me, that is amazing. That life kind of wakes us up. So it's not something that we do. We have something acting upon us, and that spurs us to uh, set out on what we call the spiritual path, the spiritual life. So, what do we wake up into? One of the things that we wake up into is that we begin to see that we uh, inhabit a particular shape of being. Uh, We are all, we probably recognise quite quickly in that waking up, that we are creatures of habit. And the more that we uh, wake up to that in relation to the Dharma... Well, it starts to, um, to see, we start to be, uh, it becomes revealed the, um, the relationship between the Dharma uh, and our own experience. And we start to see where we coincide with the Dharma and where we diverge. So it's very important that the Dharma is there almost as a touchstone for our own experience. It's a way of Kind of seeing the edges of our experience because we need to find that edge what we discover, uh, what we consider to be me. Uh, this is who I am, and this is who I am not. And that edge is uh, how we actually describe me. So, everything in here that I've created is the me, everything out there is other. And this is uh, part of what we're doing in this awakening process, is actually awakening to the fact that we have uh, fabricated a sense of ourselves. That we've created this sense of a separate self. So awakening is the ideal. This is actually what we are aspiring to do. Um, We are training ourselves to wake up. To engage with rather than deny or avoid or actively distract ourselves from experience. And in that waking up, what we really acknowledge is that there is great great beauty in our experience and there is suffering. Suffering not only suffering and beauty not in our, our own experience, but inevitably we begin to notice it more in the lives of others. And awakening immediately begins to challenge our habits of being. Simply by becoming more aware of the way we kind of hold ourselves, we begin to recognise that that holding is actually the source of, of our suffering, of much of our suffering. The grip we put around our life is actually the thing, the very thing that creates the discomfort. This is Advaya and Matty talking there, you know, that simple thing of release. When we release the grip, what is left tends to be beauty, the beautiful. So, this is uh, part of what we, why we're working with this uh, awakening, is actually so that we have the capacity, the training to soften our grip. So, waking up. To begin to see this sense of the grip is actually an incredible gift. This is the gift of the Dharma, really. The gift of uh, self-awareness. Because, as I was just saying, if we really uh, get hold of this sense of gripping, where we are gripping, we recognise that the primary cause of our suffering is actually this grip, is the the gripping onto a particular perspective of ourself. I think it's uh, really important to see this process of waking up to the grip and releasing as a path of uh, regular steps. This path has a real natural unfolding process to it. So the first stage is recognizing the, uh, seeing clearly the uh, sensations, the construct of our being and the releasing, the softening of that then not only brings about a real, um, well we still notice the suffering but there's a sense of the beauty also can come in. By the release creates beauty. And the more we see that process, this is actually the foundation of of what we describe as wisdom. The wisdom uh, comes out of recognizing, beginning to unpick that process of uh, the grip and the release. And that natural process of releasing gives rise to what we describe as wisdom. Because in that wisdom, what we're doing, uh, we're beginning to lessen the cycle of suffering for ourselves. That's the basis of wisdom. And the more that we release, the more this uh, awareness of beauty arises. The more we do that for ourselves, the more that naturally spreads out into our relationships. So we talk about compassion and wisdom being completely entwined. The more that we really work, excuse me, the more we really work to know ourselves, the more we then are free to respond to others. And my personal feeling is actually, uh, this is the process, or this this is the sort of phases, the process that we move through. We move from self-knowledge, uh, the wisdom of self-knowledge, to compassion. My sense is it's very difficult to start from compassion and work towards wisdom. So that's a, a view, uh, one which I was considering opening up in this talk, but I decided to avoid that one. But you might want to think about that, whether that's true for you. But in terms of the, this process of moving from self-knowledge to wisdom to compassion, I think, uh, well, it's completely echoed and enacted by the, the life story of the Buddha. So the Buddha, as we know, looked deeply into his own experience, He came to see the chain of conditionality that drove his countless lives and eventually he saw clearly that he knew the way to release himself from those conditioning causes of suffering. And it was then, at that point, that he went out into the world to to attempt to communicate with others, uh, to help them find the same path, the same path of awakening. To diminish their own suffering. So, I really think it's useful to kind of see that as a, as a process. So, what I want to do now is uh, just focus a little bit on a, on a story from uh, another figure from kind of Buddhist, uh, well, from the history of Buddhism. And that figure is uh, uh, called Padmasambhava. So Padmasambhava. I'm uh, just going to look at his uh, something that he said in context of, of his uh, life. So I'm just going to say a little bit about uh, the birth of Padmasambhava, and hopefully this will illustrate more fully uh, what I started talking about in terms of awakening. So the story is that uh, the Buddhas are looking down upon the world and seeing the extent to which humanity, all beings, are suffering. And uh, one particular Buddha, Amitabha, their heart opens and from the heart there's a mantra which <coughs> comes from the heart into uh, a beautiful, large lotus which is sitting in this beautiful, clear lake, the Lake of Dharmakosha. So there's this beautiful lake, a lotus there, and Vajra descends into the heart of this lotus. So this is Amitabha's response to send this Vajra to touch the lotus on the Lake of Dharmakosha. And this beautiful lotus flower opens, and in it there is an eight-year-old child standing in the lotus. So this child comes from the heart response of Amitabha, the awakened heart response of Amitabha. And the, ter- the uh, of course the inhabitants of the territory ask uh, this uh, young being, where do you come from? Who are your parents? And Padmasanva replies in this way. It's uh, it's quite a big reply, (laughs) but uh, I think it's it's interesting. So Padmasanva says, my father is the knowing of knowledge. My mother, the space of all things. My lineage, my line, is the indivisibility of knowing and space. My name is the glorious lotus-born. My homeland is the unborn dharmadhatu. My sustenance is consuming dualistic thoughts, and my destiny is to accomplish the actions of the Buddhas of past, present, and of future. So this is uh, Some straightforward. Isn't it? So I'm just going to say a little bit about these. Uh, just to sort of point us in the directions of of the implication of what we're talking about when we're talking about awakening. Um, This is what we're setting out to, uh, this is what we're embarking on for ourselves. So I'm just going to go through very briefly each uh, (coughs) sentence and tell you a little bit about it. And hopefully that of fill out into uh, a sense of uh, what, it, what this term means, awakening. So, my father is the knowing of knowledge. So, this, no- this term knowledge, uh, or the, the knowing of knowledge, is sometimes described as the pure ground of the body-mind. So this is really, I find this really interesting. So we've just done a little short meditation. And what happened in that meditation? Probably for most of us, we had this, as we sit down, we had quite a lot of uh, uh, conceptualizing mental activity. And then as we begin to settle, we just seem to drop down into a very different experience of ourselves. As that conceptualizing mind settles, we start to get a different sense of ourselves, a different experience. And if we continue down on that path to really dropping out of the conceptualising mind, where we would actually arrive at is what's described as the pure ground. It's this quality of knowing that doesn't split experience into the perceived and the perceiver the self or the other. So there's no sense in this very deep ground of any sense of a me who is knowing. So in the depths of our being, the body-mind is awake and knows without splitting itself back out from the flow of experience. And this is the non-dual state that is actually uh, identified in the Vajra. So this is my favourite symbol, and uh, any excuse to talk about it, I will talk about the Vajra. So this is uh, a symbol from Tibetan Buddhism, a very useful symbol for helping us understand this uh, sense of no- the knowing knowledge or this ground of being, the non-dual state. So I can't, haven't got time to say very much just to say, if you have a look at this symbol, at the very heart of the symbol there is a sphere. And out of the sphere there's two lotuses which are emerging on either side of the, of the sphere. So the non-dual state is this perfect sphere in the centre of the, of the symbol. And what that refers to is that this is, the, this is the, the heart of the matter. This uh, non-dual state is actually the natural state. This is the, the ground of all experience. But we tend to split it. So we create these kind of divisions. And this creates this whole kind of explosion at either end of the duality. <coughs> and that explosion uh, creates both our suffering and the beauty creates the wisdom and what we describe as the poisons. But all these experiences, this splitting out of experience, actually, if we continue, if we really enter our experience sufficiently, so anywhere on uh, on these uh, uh, shapes moving out from the centre, anywhere on those points where we find ourselves, if we really look deeply into our experience, it will take us back through that axis, back to the dual state. So it's a very <coughs> optimistic symbol. Wherever we find ourselves, there is a route back to this pristine state. In fact, we're never separate, separated from it. So this is what we are aspiring to wake up into, to release our limited sense of self into this undifferentiated ground of experience, which is uh, just to give a sense that it's beautifully luminous, jewel-like, essentially empty of anything fixed, utterly fluid, yet at the same time has this sense of complete, exact precision to it. So this is... uh, the first sentence, this is the father of Padmasangha. The father is the knowing knowledge. So the second uh, phrase, my mother, the space of all things. So the ground, this non dual state, is experienced as arising out of and passing back into spaciousness. In fact, spaciousness uh, <coughs> is the mother that gives rise to form. We cannot have form without space. So the only way we can differentiate ourselves is the fact that there is space between us. Uh, yeah. So I can, only, uh, I can only know myself in relation to anything else through this sense of spaciousness. And what's curious is actually it's impossible to find the point where the space between me and you where it begins and where it ends. So if you really look into your experience you'll see that actually space is completely inherent uh, completely interwoven with any form with any sense of of, uh, of being so we can't find an edge to what we describe as ourselves but we can get the sense of the space that we are inhabiting so it's this really useful tool in meditation that by really getting hold of this sense of spaciousness in our practice in our actual experience, this really starts to open out and soften this grip that we have of our sense of our limited self. So it's a very important teaching to get hold of uh, the space of all things. Again, it's a very, for me, I find it very exciting, very uh, amazing that this is uh, something that we can experience. This mystery of form and emptiness, form and spaciousness. And again, we wake up to when we resist that spaciousness, that's where the suffering kicks in when we kind of try to lock ourselves, isolate ourselves, that's where the suffering arises. How are we doing? How are we doing? So, um, I'm going to carry on a little bit more. <coughs> I'll just try to speed up because I'm aware I'd like to do other things as well. So, the next line... My lineage, my line, is the indivisibility of knowing and space. So in a way I've talked about that already. So the lineage that we are waking up to, into, is this sense of we are both form and space. We are both uh, this sense of a finite being, but we are completely and inextricably linked to spacelessness. This is, if you've done the Puja here, you'll know that we have a text called the Heart Sutra. So the Heart Sutra is pointing to this lineage. And this is a lineage we step into as we are trying to wake up. <coughs> We're trying to face the same truth that the Buddha looked into in his own experience that opened up the path for us to, to follow. My name, the glorious lotus born. So, this is Padmasamba speaking. And the connection I make with this is this sense of the preciousness of finding ourselves alive. So, obviously, you know, I didn't arise out of a miraculous birth, but there's still a sense of what amazing good fortune <coughs> to have reasonable health, <coughs> to have leisure. Uh, and to have met the Dharma. So to be uh, born into this place is amazing. It's as if we have this precious... uh, Well, we are as if uh, uh, finding ourselves in this beautiful lotus. We have found the Dharma. My homeland the unborn Dharmadhatu. I'll skip that one, I think. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Boy, just, to, <laughs> just to say, last year we did the Buddha Mandala, as you know. And at the right at the heart of the Mandala, there's the white Buddha. So just as the same way as the, all the Buddhas... Uh, Radiate out out of uh, the white light of Varojana. Varojana is connected to the Dharmadhatu. So it's the source, sometimes described as the womb of all the Buddhas. So this is uh, 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 Padmasamlava acknowledging that he comes from this same source. So in our own attempts to wake up, we are attempting to build a connection to that same source, to that root. The next one, I quite enjoy the next one, my sustenance, consuming dualistic thought. What we're talking about here is that we grow by eating and digesting any sense of dualism. So when I notice myself splitting off, from you, from myself, parts of myself. When I start to split the world into right and wrong, high and low, ignorance and wisdom, all these things that we keep doing to ourselves and each other, that splitting. If we can really kind of take that in, really take in that knowing that that is what we're doing, we eat that, we digest it what that does is it releases uh, the food of, of wisdom because we are then really recognising clearly what is happening this tendency to split experience. So this is what we're working to do to consume our dualism. So whenever we notice it to really get hold of that can be really fruitful investigation. When I see myself putting myself in opposition to somebody uh, or trying to kind of split myself off in some way can be really helpful just to kind of really notice that in uh, particularly through the body so the noticing is the awakening and it brings a clarity and this clarity then helps us to begin to digest our own uh, our own madness our own biases, our own polarizations, our own splitting. And all this really feeds our practice. So the energy that is released when we catch and release from that grip really heartens us, really kind of energizes us to, to practice. My destiny is to accomplish the actions of the Buddha's past, present, and future. So this is Hamasambha speaking for all of us, actually. This is, our, this is what we are setting out to work with, to the means to serve the mystery of the Dharma. So, I'm going to come down now from those uh, slightly abstract heights uh, to just try to get more of a sense of where do we uh, begin with all this work? So, we begin by waking up from sleep. So sleep, in this uh, sense, is waking up from habit, from numbness, from overwhelm, from avoidance and distraction. We practice waking up into our experience, being honest with ourselves. We wake up into try to see the extent we are creating views and hopes and anxieties, And all of these kind of creations are keeping us out of spaciousness. This pristine, jeweled present moment. So in practice, in awakening, we are committing ourselves to directly knowing what is here, right now. And we try to do this with as little overlay of interpretation and preferences as possible. Practice of awakening is practicing and extending our capacity to be really curious (coughs) interested without fixing what we describe as ourselves and what we describe as the world so the practice of awakening is to drop into actual experience wake up into the senses (coughs) Okay. so that's Um, all I'm going to have time to say are this evening about awakening. So, we've only four more sections to go. Three more sections to go. So, very briefly, um, the heart. I'm actually going to be talking about the heart next week. So, um, I'm not going to say very much at all about that. Um, So, just to say very briefly, So, the heart is the seat, uh, the sort of median point between mind uh, and world. It's the seat of intuition, uh, direct knowing. And the heart is often, well it is, unmediated. So, we often find that the heart is raw, vulnerable and tender. And because of that, the heart, unfortunately, is so often armoured, dull or even denied as being part of us. So we are awakening the heart. We awaken it because it is the source of knowing. So the eyes, ear, nose, etc. all have particular, uh, bring sensations, but actually it's the heart that really knows things directly. And it's the meeting point between inner and outer experience. So I'm not going to say any more about that. Just going to say a little bit now about meeting. So the heart as a bridge, a bridge between worlds. So this is the, uh, the heart as threshold, uh, the liminal space of the body. So the liminal means the threshold sort of the edge of the known and the heart really is that edge and what we're trying to do is meet in a state of openness of unknowing so the heart in the sense of trying to meet is actually uh, part of the work of opening the heart meeting through the heart is generating reverence for the unknown to really uh, appreciate that actually we don't know so the Buddha uh, described the experience of living in the unawakened state as like riding a chariot with an ill-fitting wheel and unfortunately many of us have this uh, fantasy that if we just do that, we just adjust that bit of our life, we just fix that little bit of our life, eventually, the chariot will run smoothly. Life will work. We will kind of get it to uh, be a constant stream of pleasure. Anybody have that fantasy? <laughs> so, uh, the Buddha's saying, unfortunately, that is the problem. That the illusion, or the the aspiration to get a smooth running life, is actually the problem. So we really need to know that the world is unfixable. So we individually and collectively suffer because we're asleep to the truth that we, and just about everyone else, we're all constantly pushing and pulling at the world and ourselves, trying to give us this constant stream of pleasure and ease and cause it ourselves from the discomfort, pain uh, of being human. And it's this pushing and pulling of life that is creating suffering. So, just to end, in trying to awaken the heart, if we go back to the image of of the lake, Actually, one of the things that we do is actually begin to create a lake of our own tears. The heart opening is uncomfortable for many of us. Well, it is uncomfortable because it creates that raw tenderness. So as tears of pain, tears of joy create the pool in which the lotus can grow The wisdom grows to the extent that we can develop this capacity to let in the pain and the beauty of being alive. So when we really truly recognise our own beauty, our own joy, as well as our own suffering, and the fact that we are alive here, with this incredible opportunity to practice... We may find ourselves weeping with gratitude, creating this lake of opportunity for the lotus. Mm -hmm. And that connection is what allows the lotus child to be born. So it's the tenderness of the heart that creates the light, the lake, and opens to engage with the suffering world. So this is why we thought it was so apt this year to really work to develop this theme. So as I say, we're going to work this theme through, with three jewels, and hope that over time we'll all more and more be able to awaken our heart so that we can meet more fully each other and the world. Okay?